You flee a communist regime in Venezuela, you come here, and then somebody using Florida taxpayer money for some reason tricks you into going from Texas to Massachusetts. Trans rights are human rights! Trans rights are human rights! Should I just be happy now that I'm finally being seen as male? Or does the guilt around being able to experience the world with so much more ease outweigh that? In Iran, we don't have homosexuals like in your country. We have to keep our country gay. This Way Out, the international LGBTQ radio magazine, I'm Greg Gordon. Cuban voters say we do to marriage equality. A transmasculine team considers life from both sides now, and an Iran rewind goes back to the present. All that and more this week now that you found This Way Out. I'm Tanya Kane Perry. And I'm Joe Bainline. With NewsWrap, a summary of some of the news in or affecting LGBTQ communities around the world for the week ending October 1st, 2022. Almost 4 million Cubans said we do to a new family code that establishes civil marriage equality for same gender couples. Married queer couples will also be able to adopt children. An impressive 75% of eligible voters went to the polls on September 25th, according to the Electoral Council. Close to two-thirds of them supported the government-endorsed changes to the family code. As President Miguel Diaz-Canel tweeted, justice has been done. It is paying off a debt with several generations of Cuban men and women whose family projects have been waiting for this law for years. Indeed, Cuban activists have been campaigning for marriage equality for decades. Mariela Castro of the National Center for Sex Education has led the effort for the past several years. It's helped that she's the daughter of former Cuban President Raul Castro. LGBTQ people suffered mightily during the regime of her uncle, Fidel Castro. Many were numbered amongst political dissidents in government work camps. Private, consensual, adult same-gender sex was illegal until 1979. A mushrooming Christian evangelical movement recently joined Cuba's Roman Catholic Church as the main opponents of equality. The National Assembly finally approved the new family code with its marriage equality provisions in July and sent it to the voters for final approval. President Diaz-Canel's celebratory tweet concluded, Starting today, we will be a better nation. Europe's most right-wing government since World War II and Benito Mussolini is coming to power in Italy. Human rights activists are alarmed by the election of Giorgia Maloney as prime minister. Her Brothers of Italy will hold a majority in Parliament in likely coalition with the right-wing League and Forward Italy parties. Maloney's downplaying of her party's fascist roots and promise during the campaign to govern for everyone did little to assuage LGBTQ rights activists. During a speech in June to support a far-right party in Spain, she proclaimed, Yes to the natural family, no to the LGBT lobby, yes to sexual identity, no to gender ideology. 
Her party strongly opposes marriage equality in the predominantly Roman Catholic country where same-gender couples can only enter into civil unions. She has specifically opposed adoption rights for those couples. The Brothers of Italy also resists the recognition of transgender identities. Some progressive critics warn that Maloney's anti-queer, anti-immigrant, anti-EU policies all too closely mirror those of Hungary's autocratic leader, Viktor Orban. Maloney's admirers in the U.S. include Trump, collaborator Steve Bannon, U.S. Senator Ted Cruz of Texas, QAnon congressperson Marjorie Taylor Greene of Georgia, and Fox News host Tucker Carlson. Two more suspects in the deadly Pride season shootings in Oslo are under arrest. Police officials announced that a Somali citizen in his 40s and a Norwegian national in his 30s were taken into custody on September 25th. The coordinated gunman opened fire on three locations in the Norwegian capital's queer nightlife district in June, including the London pub and the Purpa Hornet. Two people were killed and more than 20 others injured. A Norwegian citizen of Iranian descent in his early 40s was arrested almost immediately after the attacks. He's reportedly still hospitalized, undergoing a court-order psychiatric evaluation. Police officials say that another Norwegian man in his 40s is still being sought and is believed to have fled to Pakistan. It has no extradition treaty with Norway. The suspects face charges of murder, attempted murder, and complicity in an act of terrorism. When 17-year-old Malvina Schmara rode Leave LGBTQ People Alone in yellow chalk on a sidewalk in front of a church in Tauron, Poland, five police officers suddenly swooped in. Shamara was responding to a nearby demonstration against queer rights with banners that equated same-gender love with pedophilia. She also chalked the names of some priests who have been accused of that crime. The teenager told the news channel TVN24, The police asked me for ID and then went into the church to confer with the priests. I waited for a half an hour before the police decided to detain me. The young activist posted video of her mid-September arrest on Facebook and wrote, If we ever want anything to happen, we must rebel. And of course, police will try to stop this. Left-leaning lawmaker Joanna Scheuring Vielgus demanded an explanation from the police as to why they ganged up on a teenager and reportedly dragged her into a police car. Shamara was charged with violating the Polish Code of Petty Offenses. It outlaws the placement of advertisements, posters, leaflets, inscriptions, or drawings in a public place without the consent of the administrator of said place. She'll be fined if she's convicted, but she'll no doubt chalk up more points for justice. Trans rights are human rights! Trans rights are human rights! Nearly 100 schools across the state of Virginia protested the anti-trans policies of Republican Governor Glenn Youngkin on September 27th. The statewide campus walkouts were coordinated by the student-run Pride Liberation Project. They estimate that at least 12,000 supporters participated. Youngkin's proposal would ban trans athletes from competing as their identified gender in school sports and would force trans students to use sex-segregated restrooms and other facilities that match their birth gender. The new policies would also offer what the governor's office calls protection for school officials who refuse to use a trans student's preferred name and pronouns, 
if doing so would be contrary to their personal religious beliefs. The state's Department of Education claimed that Yunkin's new policies reaffirm the rights of parents to determine how their children will be raised and educated. The Pride Liberation Project demanded on Twitter that students have a voice in determining educational policies that directly affect them. The public comment period on Yunkin's proposed Department of Education policies ends on October 26th. U.S. Transportation Secretary Pete Buttigieg steamrolled over Florida Governor Ron DeSantis this week with a takedown that's become a Twitter classic. The secretary was recorded discussing the Republican governor's highly publicized anti-immigration stunt. DeSantis used Florida money to send Venezuelan asylum seekers from Texas to the liberal Massachusetts island enclave of Martha's Vineyard. It's an interesting matchup of two dueling Republican presidential wannabes, DeSantis and Texas Governor Greg Abbott. Vying for the toughest on immigration mantle, both have sent asylum seekers to what they call left-wing safe harbor locales. Both are up for re-election in November. During a Q&A session at the 2022 Texas Tribune Festival, famously gay family man Buttigieg noted that DeSantis made no effort to push for immigration reform when he was in Congress. Clips of his challenge to ambitious politicians have already been viewed more than two million times on Twitter and collected in excess of 105,000 likes. It's one thing to call attention to a problem when you have a course of action. It's another to just call attention to a problem because the problem is actually more useful to you than the solution, and that helps you call attention to yourself. (laughs) Human beings are being impacted by that. You flee a communist regime in Venezuela, you come here, and then somebody using Florida taxpayer money for some reason tricks you into going from Texas to Massachusetts. It's not just ineffectual, it is hurting people in order to get attention. Finally, it comes as no surprise that bros is a no-go in the Middle East. The groundbreaking gay romantic comedy from Billy on the Street Eichner will not be released in the region, a Universal Pictures source told IndieWire this week. Censors in Saudi Arabia, the United Arab Emirates, Egypt, and Kuwait have banned other films with queer content. Universal says it pulled the picture due to cultural and commercial reasons. Bros debuted in U.S. theaters on September 30th. Oh my God, do you guys remember straight people? Yeah, they had a nice run. You're too old to be in the pool. Please leave. The first major studio release of a gay rom-com boasts an entirely queer or queer-friendly cast. It's getting mixed but generally positive reviews, including a 95% fresh rating on the popular Rotten Tomatoes site. Homophobic review bombers tried to scuttle the film's commercial success even before it opened. The Washington Blade's John Paul King tells his readers to see the movie not just because of its historic milestones, but simply, he says, because it's good. That's News Wrap, global queer news with attitude for the week ending October 1st, 2022. Follow the news in your area and around the world. Informed community is a strong community. News Wrap is written by Greg Gordon, edited by Lucia Chappell, produced by Brian DeShazer, and brought to you by you. Thank you. Help keep us in ears around the world at thiswayout.org, where you can also read the text of this newscast and so much more. For This Way Out, I'm Joe Bainline. 
stay healthy. And I'm Tanya Kane Perry. Stay safe. This Way Out is supported in part by contributions from our listeners. Some give a little each month. Some make a large annual contribution. More information and a link to give are online at thiswayout.org. Thank you. We do not have this phenomenon. I don't know who's told you that we have it. Iran's past and present collide later in the program. Born and raised a girl, and now a transmasculine teen, he is learning different lessons than the ones she was taught. This is Outcasting Overtime from Media for the Public Good, creator of Public Radio's LGBTQ youth programs. Hi, I'm Declan, an Outcasting youth broadcaster. This past summer, I spent some time volunteering at a soup kitchen. It had been a while since I'd been entirely surrounded by new faces. I was a total stranger to both the people I was serving food to and the folks I was working alongside. As I've mentioned on an earlier edition of Outcasting Overtime, I'm also transgender. Recently, I've started passing more in public. This means that when most people meet me for the first time, they see me as a guy. They call me dude and man and son. They don't realize that I was born female when they first look at me. Now, at the soup kitchen, I was definitely passing. I didn't have to tell any of the staff I was trans to get them to call me he and him. When I gave someone a bowl of oatmeal, they always said something like, a little more, son, or thanks, man. But there was something else that caught me off guard. It wasn't just the people saying he and dude and fella that clued me into the fact that I was being seen as male in this space. It was also the subtler ways I was getting treated. Staff members were more likely to start up conversations with me. The people getting food joked around with me more. I was getting so many more thank yous than I'm used to. People were praising me, telling me what a selfless, good young man I was for volunteering. Of course, my first reaction was, wow, everyone is so kind here. It made me really happy to see how welcoming the environment was. But then I started to notice how the female volunteer working next to me was being treated. Nobody was really joking around with her. The male staff members seemed much less receptive to starting up conversations with her. People were thanking her, but in a way that seemed more out of obligation than actual gratitude. I would find out later that she had been working at the kitchen for several months, while I had been there a couple of days at most. But it was when a man, after receiving food from this female volunteer, thanked her and then took the time to walk over to me, get my attention, and politely ask me where the bathroom was that I realized, oh, these people aren't especially nice, I'm just a man. And it wasn't just this location either. Since I've been passing a lot more in public, I've been noticing a lot of differences in the way I get treated by strangers. People ask for my help so much more, especially when it comes to manual labor. I get praised for doing really basic tasks, you know, things nobody batted an eye at when I did them as a girl. But most of all, it seems like people, especially men, feel so much more comfortable talking to me now. In the past year alone, I've had so many more casual, friendly conversations with total strangers than I ever had before transitioning. Guys just seem to treat me with so much more casual respect. And that's a weird thing to come to terms with. I can't help but feel almost guilty in a way, like suddenly I'm having all these advantages just because of the way I present myself now. To get a little more heavy for a second, I know I'll probably have it much easier in public than a lot of my female friends. 
I've never been catcalled before, but the chances are significantly less likely now that I look the way I do. Same goes for sexual harassment or assault. When you're born a girl, you get told from such a young age that in your life, there are going to be gross men who may try to put their hands on you or shout things about your body from across the street. You get rules drilled into your head. You know, don't run at night. Stay in a group when going out. Always keep your drink with you, even in the bathroom. No ponytails after dark. It, it becomes second nature in a way. I remember the first time I had the talk with my mom. Not the birds and the bees, but the second one. The talk that the girls get after the boys leave the room. I was probably around 12 or 13. The day before, a car in the area had pulled over to a group of kids walking around together, and the older man driving had tried to get them to come inside. Everyone was fine, it was broad daylight out, but it was still a scary moment for a lot of parents in the area. You know, what if it wasn't during the day? What if they weren't in a group? So my mom sat me down and told me about the incident. She gave me the whole safety rundown, told me if anything like that ever happens to me, not to speak to the person in the car, run in the opposite direction, call 911 when I was alone, everything you're supposed to tell a kid. And then she said something along the lines of, because you're a girl, there are going to be some extra things you have to watch out for. And that was when she started talking about tight clothes and short shorts, showing too much skin and walking alone. She made sure I knew that it was never in a million years my fault if something were to happen, but she also wanted me to know that there were ways I could help keep myself safe out in the world, and things I could do, and specifically where, that might not be so safe. And I could tell she was getting a little emotional. No mom wants to have to tell her daughter that there's a good chance she'll get sexually harassed when she's older, especially when her daughter is only 12 years old. But that conversation was necessary if she wanted to help keep her kids safe. I've been thinking about that talk more recently. Now that I'm on hormones and presenting fully as male 100% of the time, I know sexual harassment and catcalling is something that statistically all have to worry about a lot less. And it makes me wonder, would we have had that talk if I had been born a boy? Or if I had transitioned much younger? Would my mom still be warning me about tight clothes and short shorts if I'd popped out of the womb without the second X chromosome? Probably not. So what do I do? I'm getting treated with newfound respect. I can wear short shorts in public without worrying about my safety. I'm having more conversations, making more acquaintances. The world is a lot easier to navigate now, but it's only thanks to masculinity. Should I just be happy now that I'm finally being seen as male? Or does the guilt around being able to experience the world with so much more ease outweigh that? I'm just one dude. I don't have the answers for all of that. But I do know that now that I've seen what things are like on both sides of the fence, so to speak, I'm going to try to be a lot more attentive to when I see misogyny around me and work to call it out more. Because there is no reason why that female staff member who worked right next to me at the soup kitchen couldn't have answered a simple question about the bathroom herself. Thanks for listening to Outcasting Overtime from Outcasting Media, creator of Public Radio's LGBTQ youth programs. Outcasting Media is a production of Media for the Public Good, based in New York. Our executive producer is Mark Sophus. Visit us at outcastingmedia.org to get information about Outcasting, watch Outcasting videos, access our social media links, and listen to Outcasting and related content. You can also find Outcasting wherever you get your podcasts. I'm Declan. Thanks, and thanks for listening. Hello, I'm Billy Bean, Major League Baseball's Ambassador for Inclusion, and you are listening to This Way Out, the international radio show for all our sexually diverse communities. Good news.
Are you signed up for our e-newsletter, Inside This Way Out? We send them out every few weeks, briefly reviewing recent and previewing upcoming programming and deepening the conversation about your favorite international LGBTQ radio show. All you have to do to receive Inside This Way Out messages is email us at info at thiswayout.org. And be assured that we don't share or sell your email address or anything about you to anyone else, and we never will. Again, to receive the occasional Inside This Way Out and let us know you're listening, email us at info at thiswayout.org. Thank you. Right now, Iranian women are leading the largest anti-government demonstrations since the 1979 Islamic Revolution. Even before the hijabs were being burned in the streets, for the first time, Iran had sentenced two women to death for their LGBTQ activism. UN human rights officials are calling for an end to the crackdown on protests, as well as a halt to the executions of Zabah Sadiqi Kihamidani and Elham Shubdar. However, UN-inspired interventions have never impressed Iran. Fifteen years ago, then-President Mahmoud Ahmadinejad's appearance at the General Assembly was the hallmark of homophobia, misogyny, and anti-Semitism. The questions raised with Ahmadinejad during a subsequent forum at Columbia University were the same as today's, and so was the regime's position, although Ahmadinejad's cloying style is all but forgotten. We covered his Columbia comments in October 2007, and this way out Lucia Chappelle reported on the reaction. Here's Dean John Coatsworth of Columbia's School of International and Public Affairs. Women are now denied basic human rights, and your government has imposed draconian punishments, including execution, on Iranian citizens who are homosexuals. Why are you doing those things? Freedoms in Iran are genuine, true freedoms. Iranian people are free. Women in Iran enjoy the highest levels of freedom. We have two deputy vice, two vice presidents that are female at the highest levels of specialty, specialized fields in our parliament, in our government, in our universities. They're present in our biotechnological fields, your technological fields. There are hundreds of women scientists that are active in the political realm as well. It's not, it's wrong for some governments when they d disagree with another government to sort of try to spread lies that distort the full truth. Our nation is free. It has the highest level of particip participation in elections in Iran. 80%, 90% of the people turn out for votes during the elections, half of which, over half of which are women. So how can we say that women are not free? Is that the entire truth? But as for the executions, I'd like to raise two questions. If someone comes and establishes a network for illicit drug trafficking that affects the youth in Iran, Turkey, Europe, the United States, by introducing these illicit drugs and destroys them, would you ever award them? reward them 
people who lead uh, the the, the cause the deterioration of the lives of hundreds of millions of youth around the world, including in Iran. Can we have any sympathy to them? Don't you have capital punishment in the United States? You do too. In Iran too, there's capital punishment for illicit drug traffickers, for people who violate the rights of people. If somebody takes up a gun, goes into a house, kills a group of people there, and then tries to take ransom, how would you confront them in Iran, would you in, in the United States? Would you reward them? Can a physician allow microbes, for, symbolically speaking, to spread across a nation? We have laws. People who violate the public rights of the people by using guns, killing people, creating insecurity, sell drugs, distribute drugs at a high level, are sentenced to execution in Iran. And some of these punishments very few are carried in the public eye, before the public eye. It's a law based on democratic principles. You use injections to, and microbes to kill these people, and they, they're executed or they're hung. But the end result is killing. And drug smugglers, the question was about uh, sexual preference and women. <laughs> In Iran, we don't have homosexuals like in your country. We don't have that in our country. In Iran, we do not have this phenomenon. I don't know who's told you that we have it. The good news about what Iranian President Mahmoud Ahmadinejad had to say was not just the Columbia University students' reaction, but the fact that the mainstream media seemed to understand why these people were laughing. Many of the major news outlets highlighted the moment, although the soundbite version loses the full impact of his rationale for repression. There have been many replies to Ahmadinejad's assertion that Iran has no gays and lesbians. Paula Edelbrick of the International Gay and Lesbian Human Rights Commission noted that Columbia's forum provided the first opportunity to confront a sitting Iranian president about the mistreatment of LGBT people. Well-documented instances of persecution have included incarcerations, beatings, public lynchings, and just last August, the closing of a newspaper that published an interview with a lesbian poet. The infamous execution of two gay teenagers in 2005 sparked protests around the world. Human rights campaign president Joe Salmanese said, Ahmadinejad's denial that there are gay people in Iran shows the extent to which he devalues the lives of the many citizens his government has and continues to violate. For This Way Out, I'm Lucia Chappelle. Thanks for discovering This Way Out, brought to you by the nonprofit Overnight Productions. Some program material this week came from Tanya Kane Perry and Joe Bainline, produced by Brian Gishazer, from Outcaster Declan, produced by Mark Sopas, and with archival material from Lucia Chappelle. 
Joni Mitchell and Toto performed some of the music you heard, and Kim Wilson composed and performed our theme music. This layout acknowledges the support of the Jane and Deborah Cluey Charitable Fund and Richard Merck and Brad Payton of Silicon Valley. Listener donors like them make this program possible. Thank you. Look for This Way Out Radio on social media, email info at thiswayout.org, or write to us at P.O. Box 1065, Los Angeles, California, 90078, USA. For associate producer Lucia Chappell and the entire This Way Out crew, I'm Greg Gordon. We thank you for listening online at thiswayout.org and on WMPG Portland, Maine, KSKQ Ashland, Oregon, CHMA Sackville, New Brunswick, and a wide array of community terrestrial and internet radio stations around the world, including this one. Stay healthy, stay safe, and stay tuned.